haven't seen them in a long time. <laughs> Brother Grote, I'm sure glad. You didn't drive all the way from your home over here, did you, tonight? Say, I know you love the Lord, but I didn't know quite that much. <laughs> Brother Grote remembers me when I was at my very worst time, just in the break, when I'd stayed in the prayer line for eight days and nights. And I, about eight months, I didn't know whether I was on earth or out of the world or what. But he stayed right with me safely. And I, sister's not with you, I guess, by yourself. Your dad with you? Excuse me for talking to him from the pulpit here, but him that's over here, I don't know if I get to see him or not, and I have an old friend. So we are very happy that you are all here. And we trust that God will bless us exceedingly abundantly uh, tonight. And uh, you've been so nice, and the the place where I'm staying, the people are nice. When I go down to the restaurant, the people are nice. You just got a a nice bunch of people here. And it would be a very fine place sometime to bring that big tent and set up here for a long, long time. If you would just permit us, thank you. And I was noticing the map when I was thinking of that today, and it's just kind of hub here where there's many big cities all around. Be a very good place, and that'd take us about a month or two, you know, for a real good long revival. That's where you get the results, and thank you. That makes me feel real good to think that you can put up with this old-fashioned sassafras preaching. <laughs> My education, after listening to scholars, and, and then welcome me like that, I sure do appreciate it. That's very nice of you. And I trust that the Lord will lead me this way. I'd hate to try to think of going in an old tent and flopping around after coming out of a place like this, but maybe we'd, uh, in that way, we'd just have a kind of a, a little more room in a large meeting where it would be maybe advertised for months and months ahead. And that would just bring in Minnesota and Iowa and North Dakota and Kansas and all around the whole range, range, range about like that. That would be a wonderful time, wouldn't it? Have you ever read my vision yet in the magazine? How many's read it in here? I, many of you, that's right. Brother Bose, I think, carried it, and the Herald of His Coming carried it. I think the Voice of Healing will have it this next month. And it's a great thing I'm sure our Lord Jesus is fixing to do. And I just can't hardly wait to get in that tent, and it's going to be something wonderful. And I just know He's going to do it just before His coming. And I feel that we all are part in this, I never have felt like, but, uh, but what we're all together, like the appearing of that um, light, I believe the boys has the books back there. We're not book salesmen. I buy them books myself and bring them along for the people. And um, just, that, uh, just what we can barely sell them for in the pictures, I have to have them made their copyrighted, you know, at Washington, so I have to get those and just sell them just for what I get them for, so just to send them out like that. And, uh, but the thing of it is, is the message, the encouragement it'll give to people, you see. And God didn't have his picture taken there with me just to say that it was me. He just had his picture taken there to show it was us. <laughs> Amen. All of us together. And that pillar of fire that led the children in the days of Israel. How many remember us reading that in, I believe it's Exodus the 13th chapter, how he led the children of Israel by a pillar of fire. Is that right? We all know that. And then that was God and the fatherhood of God when he led the children of Israel. And then when he 
represent himself in a body of flesh, his own son, that he overshadowed. He was, um, then Jesus said, I came from God and I go to God. Now, God in Christ reconciled the world to himself. Then when he left and God raised his body up and set it on the right hand of his majesty and glory and the Holy Spirit came back and we find out that the Holy Spirit's in the same form that it was when it was in the wilderness. Do you know that? A pillar of fire again. How many know that? <laughs> might seem a little strange. Let me tell you. When Paul was on his road down to Damascus, that Jesus Christ met him. How many believe that to be the truth? And when it met him, what was it? It was a great light. Is that right? And Paul looking at it till it almost put it, or did blind him. The light was so... But the, them who were standing around, um, they looked. So the big light was standing there, and it blinded Paul. And, I, and he said, uh, it's, Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. And he said, um, Who are you, Lord? And he said, He was Jesus. So Jesus then, according after the resurrection, the only time and the first time to appear to anyone after after the ascension and him going up, he was in the form of a great light. Is that right? Well, then, haven't we got faith to believe that this same light is the same Jesus here with us today in the world? Certainly it is. It's with all. It's all the body of Christ. And he just happened to appear in them times and... And it's a vindication that when I was a little boy, that same light come in the window. You've read the story back there. And uh, so that's true. You can go to Kentucky and hear the rumor of it yet down there around places. So then people thought, well, that's just psychology, mass psychology. So then, you know, he kept appearing before hundreds of people and thousands. And then they'd take pictures and the newspaper man would get him on the camera, got the picture two or three times, and they put that in the book. So then, after a while, the Association, the American Photographer Association, got the picture real close, and they took it to Washington, D.C. first. They took it before George J. Lacey, that's the head of the FBI, and fingerprint and document. And he cut it under all the way lights and so forth. This uh, examination is there. He said, no, the light struck the lens. And he said to me, he said, you know, the mechanical eye of this camera won't take psychology. <laughs> that's right. And it struck the lens. And about... Six months ago, down in Germany, after a little girl, totally blind, had been healed on the platform, and the mother run out of her shoes getting to the platform, and the girl saw her mother for the first time. The next morning, when they went down and had a great roller-type camera, those Germans really have some real glass, and they have taken the pictures of a, perhaps maybe this many people. Uh, the state church and many of the uh, interdenominationals and the Pentecostals and all at this great breakfast at 11 o'clock that morning, luncheon it was. And while we were taking up, they kept asking me questions the Germans did in Swiss and all of them sitting in French. And, and I said, well, I cannot tell. I said, I don't know when it will happen, but it's true. I said, you'll just have to take my word for it. That's all. They said, well, how, how do you feel when it comes? I said, well... I can't explain because it's another dimension. And so um, <clears throat> as I put it to them like that, I said, just another, another world. And he said, well, we notice you that, and speaking to people, you don't, uh, you can't say their names, so you just uh, spell out their name. I said, I can't pronounce those German words, where they come from, the city, and so forth. 
So they couldn't understand that. They thought, well, it can't be a telepathy there because it was, it was uh, telepathy don't work that way. So they, I said, well, and I don't misjudge it. I said, they said that of Jesus, he was Beelzebub, chief of the fortune tellers that could do that, you know. So I said, I expect people to get the wrong slant to it. But I said, if they only know the day we were living in, then they would know and believe. So just that it had to be by God's sovereign grace. I said, here he is now. And just then, everybody looking around, nobody saw it, but the big camera turned on and shot a picture. And it was a man sitting over there with a turned around Roman collar. I said, now a man sitting here to my, to my left it was from the, from the dinner where I was sitting on that side. I said, the man's the left. I said, this man sitting here, he isn't eating. Why? I said, because he has an ulcerated stomach and he can't eat. He hasn't eaten for some time. I said, he's just become a Christian in the last two or three years. I said, he is not a German. And I said, uh, he's not a Frenchman. I said, he's an Italian. And I said, he's been the leader of 22,000 communists. And a man just fainted over on the table. That was the truth. And I said, then he become a Christian. Now he's working a little orphanage way up in the mountains where he's hiding from a group of people, uh, uh, the religions of the Catholic people of his country. And that was every word of the truth. And all the time this German was sitting there snapping these pictures to see if he could get it. They take them right away to the place and develop them. Here it comes. They could see the angel of the Lord coming down when it made the, the, what it said. Then when it went and went away and everything right into it. And that swept the journey all the way through. Jesus Christ is everywhere, isn't he? He hasn't got no certain place. He's omnipotent, omnipresent, omnipresent. So we just know that he is everywhere can be with everybody at all times, and he just covers the whole space, doesn't he, everywhere. He is our Lord. Well, last night we had quite of a, a little strange run. I never did get to the really my text where we started at, but maybe we'll try to finish it tonight. I just love the Bible. Oh, my. I like the Old, the old Testament because with no education, uh, I have to become a typologist to type the old with the new. Now, many people were smart and had a chance to get schooling, which I appreciate, wish I could have. And they know how to lay those big names and go into it, but I don't. So the only thing that I can do to make sure that I'm going to teach the truth, I can watch it by type and see that the Old Testament was a type or a shadow of the new. Now, if I'd never seen myself and never seen a human being, and I've seen my shadow, and I've seen that I had arms and legs, I'd have some conception of what I look like if I'd seen the shadow of myself. Then if I see what the shadow was in the Old Testament, I'll have a pretty good idea what the positive is when you look at it, and then when you bring it. So I think the Old Testament is... Just a wonderful book. I remember in my tabernacle, when I was pastor in my tabernacle, Baptist church at home, we had, I'd take, for instance, a year to go through the book of Exodus. Oh, my. If it isn't full of golden nuggets, I never saw All of Exodus or Genesis. I stayed over two years one time on the book of Job. Just Job alone. I remember. I don't think I got over there. Just you couldn't get out of it. Oh, just... Put it all the way through the Bible, you know. And I had Job on the ash heap, I think, for about six weeks. And so there was a lady kind enough to write in. She said, 
Reverend Branham, she said, I sure do appreciate your teaching, but when you ever go to get Job off the hay sheep? <laughs> that was a crucial moment for me. I had everything wound up to catch those souls just at that time, you know, when Job, when really he got the revelation from God and the Spirit of God came on him and he was a prophet, you know, and when it finally soaked through what L.A.U. was trying to get to him, then he began got in the Spirit. We got him off the head, sheep, all right. And some over in the resurrection. <laughs> and I believe he was in. <clears throat> and now, you know, this is, we dig into the Old Testament, a prospector always goes down and digs down to get the jewels and, and he polishes it up. And every nugget you find out of the Old Testament, just polish it off a little bit and it'll point right straight to Calvary. Yeah. Everything was taken care of at Calvary. And uh, I just kind of like to prospect, don't you? Just dig them out of here, you know, with all the types and the shadows. And now, I wish to read in Genesis 22 just for a starting place and try to let you out a little earlier tonight. If I possibly can, I've been holding you late. I'm sorry, but I just, you're such a nice audience, and I don't have to say I could just let that bypass one on. But you are a very nice audience. And I just wondered if, if they were going to um, uh, have a night. Did you want a night for the sick people to be prayed for? How many wanted to have a night of prayer for the sick? Let's see. Uh, well, we can have it any time you want. How about tomorrow night? Would that be all right? All right. Go get out and get all the sick folks and bring them in tomorrow night. And we'll have prayer for the sick. And let's see. Maybe we'd better give out some prayer cards because there's so many we won't have them. It's going to be first in line. I'll have uh, Billy to come down, or Gene, or one of them here. By the way, Mr. Gold here, Gene Gold and Leo Mercer, he was sitting right back there a few moments ago. They're recording boys that go with in the meeting. They take these messages and the prayer line and so forth on tape, and if you'd want the tape, you could just see them. Now, um, better be here about 6.30 tomorrow night and get your prayer card because of you who's got sick now. Bring them in, the prayer card. Don't take the prayer card. Come here and get your prayer card are inexchangeable. You have to come here to get the card. Then you'll be called in the line by your card. And now let's expect a great time and be prayer. Now this will call for fasting and, and so forth for tomorrow. And maybe our Lord will break through and give us a great healing service tomorrow night. We trust that he will. And now in the 22nd chapter of Genesis and the 7th and the 8th verse and then the 14th verse. We wish to read just a portion of the scripture for our text tonight and then go back where we left off last night to dig up some of the context of this book of Genesis, which, my, we could stay in it here for, for two years and still go right back over again and get more we did the first time. That's how God's Word's written. All right, the reading now. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I my son? And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So they both went together. Now the 14th verse. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And for our text, I want to take Jehovah 
the gyron. Now, the Lord has seven compound redemptive names. We, we know that. And Jehovah Jireh is the one. The Lord will provide for himself a sacrifice. And he is still Jehovah Jireh. That's how Mr. Bosworth won the debate that night with the Baptist minister at Houston, Texas, when the angel of the Lord's picture was taken, when on that very one thing said, Is he still Jehovah Jireh? He said, Yes. He said, Then them compound names is inseparable. He has to be the same, because, as I said the other night, his attitude at the first, if he was Jehovah Jireh then and not Jehovah Jireh now, he was wrong being Jehovah Jireh in the first place. And if he's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord's provided sacrifice, and all those compound names is met to Christ. And then if he was Jehovah Jireh, the Lord's provided sacrifice, he's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that healeth thee. He has to be. Or if he isn't the healer, he isn't the Savior. Because you, you just can't take part of him. It's got to be all called them compound redemptive names is inseparable. He's the same. If he was Jehovah Jireh back there, and Jehovah Rapha, the healer back there, and isn't Jehovah Rapha today, then he was wrong when he, when he introduced himself as Jehovah Rapha. If he isn't still Jehovah Rapha today, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that healeth thee. If he isn't the same today, then he was wrong in his meeting with them back there as a healer. If he met with them as a healer and otherwise and don't meet today as a healer, he was wrong with them people back there to begin with. See? So he can't be because he's infallible. He's God. So he, he can't. But he has to be the same. And the Bible said he's the same and he is the same. And we find, found last night in the blessed old Bible, which is the truth, that God, when he makes a promise, he will stay. If you stay with that promise, it'll produce just exactly what it said it will. Because God's word has to produce what it says or it isn't his word. So it just isn't that wonderful to, that we have this blessed assurance. Do you have that tonight? Say amen. Good. The blessed assurance. When I think of the word, it reminds me of a good friend of mine. Now, I hope if there's an insurance agent here that he won't think hard of me. But they, um, one time my father had taken out insurance on us children when we were a little bitty tots and disposed to be some kind of payoff in 10 years. Well, a poor old fellow worked 75 cents a day till his shirt would burn to his back to pay that policy up. When it got through, the agent had read it wrong to him. It was only worth $2.75 when it was... Supposed to be worth five hundred dollars. Well, that soured me on insurance, so I just never would have it. So then, when the agent come to my house, he said, "A good friend of mine went to school with a boy." He said, "Billy, what about insurance now?" I said, "I tell you, there's no need of you feeling that way about that." He said, "There's not a bit of need of it." He said, "Now look, you got your family here." I said, "They're all right." He said, "Now you need insurance." I said, "I have it." <clears throat> oh, he said, "You have insurance?" I said, "Yes, sure, I have insurance." So he turned around and looked at me, and my wife looked at me. He said, well, Billy, what kind of assurance you got? I said, blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. He said, now, Billy, that's all right, but that won't put you over here in the graveyard. I said, I know, but he'll get me out. I'm not worried about getting in there. I said, that's 
that we are just in his sight when we accept him and believe on his name. Amen. That's the insurance. My, how wonderful it is to have it and have the policy signed by the Holy Spirit as a witness that it's all right. The Bible said, Grieve not the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4.30. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until the day of your redemption. Think of it. How long? Until the day of your redemption. All done, packed up the seal on the car. She's bound for her eternal destination. Oh, I hope each one has that policy tonight. That seal of God's approval up on it. And moving on towards your destination, knowing this, that he who promised is faithful and will come someday and will see him face to face. Then, now we see through a glass darkly, but when we see him face to face, then we'll, we'll be known as we're known. Now, we find out last night we left Abraham on the 17th chapter of, of Genesis when God appeared to him in the name of El Shaddai. Shaddai, if some of them pronounce it. I don't know just exactly the term of it, but I always pronounce it Shaddai. And uh, the word, I looked it up and searched it, and I come to find out that it means the breath. And God appeared to Abraham in the name of the breasted one. Isn't that a marvelous name to appear to a man a hundred years old now? It's gone his strength, the bloodstream has dried up, his body is practically dead, and Sarah, his wife, her womb was dead. And all this, and then God appears in that name as the nourisher, or the life giver, the strength giver. Abraham, I am your strength. Oh, sick folks, can you believe that tonight? Then that'll make a man rise from a cot under the strength of the Holy Spirit, walk right out. It'll make him when he's crippled, the arms come straight or legs straight, and walk right away when you... Feel and know by assurance, by the revelation of God, that God is your strength. I've seen him when they, oh, you hadn't stood for ten years or more, little bitty limbs not that big, eat up with cancer. Well, people tonight, because they rose in the strength of the Lord. God's strength. Did you ever see a maniac? They got about five times the normal strength. And the insane institution... They are terrible how they fight, and they're twice to three or four times their strength. If the devil can give you double strength, what could the Holy Ghost do when you're completely surrendered to him? You don't walk. You say, oh, it's impossible. I can't do it. I can't raise up. When you feel that way, then you're still, you, you haven't received the promise yet. But let it once get sunk down in your heart, and you take a hold of Jehovah as your strength giver. Watch what takes place. You won't stay there very long. You'll come right out of it. He said, Abraham, I am thy exceeding great reward. Oh, my. God testing Abraham. 
believe God tests you. He's tested me a many times, and he'll test every son that comes to him, no matter who it is. Not any exceptions here. Everyone that comes must first be tested, child-trained, brought up. You know, that's what makes a good child sometimes when you, you give him a little testing, you know. Papa used to give it to me with the, with the hickory switch about this long, you know, with all the Ten Commandments wrote on it. When I... All of them, you know. That was a golden rule at home. <laughs> and he sure knew how to root, use it right, too. Well, it's an honor tonight when I pass by his grave and look where I was. My dear old dad, you was the one who kept me in the right road, see. Sure, testing, trying, no chastising for the moment is pleasant, but afterward it yields the fruit of, of righteousness if you'll just stand the testing. Yes, sir. God gives testing. And Abraham was tested after he, God had given a promise and he left his home, his father, and his loved ones and become a pilgrim and sojourner for years and promising a child. And Abraham constantly believed God. He said, yes, sir, it'll be so. God said so. Couldn't we just like to have that now? You look in the Bible, every person that ever amounted to very much were people who took God at his word. Look at little Mary. Compare her with Zechariah. Zechariah at the temple, when the angel told him that he was going home after days his administration there at the temple, that burning incense, that he would be with his wife, her past the age of bearing, and she would have a child. That was a natural thing there. Very little, little phenomenal because her past the age. But he had plenty of examples, Sarah and here and, and Hannah at the temple. But that priest doubted God. And when he did, he was stricken dumb. But Mary, when the angel met her, she didn't doubt God. She said, Behold, thy hands made of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. And never was there anything like that done before. But she didn't question. She didn't reason. She just took God at his word and went along rejoicing, telling people she's going to have a baby, knowing no man. When that had never been done before. Oh, wouldn't it be fine if of all these Marys in here tonight would take that kind of an attitude? Wouldn't it be wonderful if all the people could take that attitude? No question. If God said so, that settles it. That's all. That settles it. If God said so, that makes it right. Now, he's the final voice on all, all authority. He has all the authority of everything. God has the supreme uh, authority. Then Abraham believed him. And when he did, Abraham hadn't questioned, but God said, I'm going to tell you how it's done, Abraham. I am the bosomed one. I am your mother, in other words. You're just a baby. To me, you're a hundred years old. You're just a baby. And the natural stream of life has passed from you, but I am your life giver. Yes? I am your mother. Now, don't fret. Just, just nurse from me, and you'll have your strength like a young man. We're going to get to that in a minute and see if he did. All right, you just stay right with me, Abraham, and nurse right for me because I am the breasted God. I have all I can give you eternal life after you are gone from this world, and I can heal your body and make you a different person while you are here on earth. I can prolong your days. I can give you good health. I can do that because I am the breasted one. 
Look at Jesus when he said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. What for? A compound reason. The people were chatting against Moses and God, and they were sick and need healing. So it was for the forgiveness of their sins and the healing of their body. God appeared to Abraham as El Shaddai for the forgiveness of sins and healing of the body. El Shaddai, the blessed one. Jesus was wounded for our transgressions with his stripes. We are healed. We can take from either resource. Amen. Oh, now, when Christians begin to get that, Satan begins to get ready to leave. He's finished when people can say, I don't care. No certain healer has to come by. No certain this has to happen. The only thing I want to know is to hear that God said so. That settles it with me then. I'll take it and go from right there. And you got it. Amen. That's what we need. Pure, unadulterated gospel teaching that church is dying for. That's right. You believe that? The world is. That's right. Notice. Then Abraham... He was happy about that, of course. He went on. And then we find out that there come a strife between Lot's herdsmen and so forth. Now I want to show you just a little thing here on the coming of the Lord, just while we're in tonight. And I'll try not to be late to get quickly to my point. But watch here. Just Abraham was an heir to the world. And Lot was a type of the lukewarm believer. He was a believer. He left his homeland to sojourn with God, but always never fully surrendered. And that's what's the trouble in the full gospel church tonight, along with the rest of them. It's people who's left their, the world and keep out of the world. They don't go to gambling and drinking and carrying on. They are a believer, but has never made a complete surrender. Oh, if you only knew what that inside hidden life, where you're in there with Christ and all the walls is blocked around you. In the Old Testament, that hidden life was beautifully tight in the journey of the children of Israel. Notice, manna fell every night, and the people go out and pick it up every day. Now, in the old courts, there was a there was a cloak on the outside. The brazen laver was out there. Then there was a holy place where seven-pronged candlesticks burnt. And then there was a holiest of holy. Now, when the manna fell, they picked it up and put it in a golden pot and set it in on the inside of the holiest holies. Now, on the outside, the people eat the same kind of manna they were eating in here. But that manna only lasted for a little while. But it was the same kind of manna. So many people today think because they have received the Holy Ghost, that settles it. Oh, you just beginning. Amen. You haven't started yet, hardly. See, there's so many people, the people picked up this little manna, that, which was the type of the Holy Spirit, Christ, come down and give his life for the world. And they took this and made it into cakes and eat it. But many times they found out by 9 or 10 o'clock they were getting hungry. The, the, the sun had done melted it away. And that's the way many people think today. In a great big revival, they get all pepped up, you know, and as soon as revival's over, down they go again. Have to come back maybe and repent again and come back to church and take their vows over and, and someone wants to be rebaptized again or something like that. 
some religious service to be done to them to try to boost them along. Those people are never happy. Now, but the man who was on the inside where this golden man of a pop of a manna was, he it never run out. It never got old. It never diminished. The man who lived there had the victory all the time. Amen. Now, what's the different light? The people out in the course they walk for the sunlight and the moonlight, starlight. The star the light that the solar system gives. Well, in there sometimes he had dark days, cloudy days, rainy days. There's all kinds of days out there. The man who lived by the holy place, by the altar, under what we would call, say that's justification, we just call it this for the talk's sake just now. Say in the course it was justification, at the altar represented sanctification. Why, sure, they, they had light. They didn't have to depend on the sun, the moon, and the stars. They had seven candlesticks to give them light. But many times they smoked up, went out. And that's the way people do. But when they went into the holiest of holies and those veils dropped behind Aaron once a year, they didn't live in no moonlight, starlight, or seven golden candlesticks under the interlocked wings of the cherubim, the Shekinah glory. Was in there, and they lived in that light which never did diminish or go out. They lived by the pot of manna they could eat any time they wanted to. It never got old. What a life to live. That's the kind of life Abraham was living. A complete, surrendered, sold out, consecrated, dedicated life to the Lord. Amen. And as we call it sanctification, they thought when they shouted, they really had it. The Methodists and Nazarenes said, boy, I did as soon as you shout, but they found out they didn't have it. The Pentecostal, boy, when they spoke with tongues, they really had it, but they find out they didn't. It doesn't lie upon shouting or speaking to tongues. Those things are all right. But to have him is different. That's the attributes of him. That's right. We, it means a sold-out, consecrated, daily hour they live in the Shekinah glory with him all the time. That's right. Not as I'm saying things against shouting or speaking with tongues. That's fine. That's the attributes of the Holy Ghost and so forth. We need all those things. But yet, that's not it. That's not it. It's that hidden, consecrated life. Remember, those people out in the porches eating the same kind of manna there was in here behind the golden omer, back in behind the holiest of holies. And there was Lot walking right along with Abraham, who was, was a believer too. But he didn't have that constant abiding presence of God. So when the herdsman got to argue, Abraham said, We are brethren, let's not have any argument. And said, You take the east, I'll take the west. Or if you take the west, I'll take the east. Which way you go, I'll go vice versa. That's the way to make a decision. God, you do the leading. Amen. I hope that thing's way down. <laughs> Look, you do the leading God. And a lot, of course, as a worldly-minded as he was, he looked down towards the well-watered plains of Sodom and Gomorrah, and away he went. And let's say he become the chief man of the city, set in the gate where the judge always sat. He become the judge of the mayor of the city. His wife, long perhaps ever so uncertainly, was down there. And she really got into the class. Certainly. But look what a crowd they mixed up with. God told Abraham to separate himself. Amen. 
That's what God wants Christians to do today is separate yourself from all things of the world. The Bible said if you love the world, things of the world, it's a good sign that the love of God is not even in you. Amen. Here's what we were saying last night. If you love every other woman in your wife too, it's a good sign you don't love her. <laughs> That's one thing, sure. Why didn't you women say amen? I warned you to say it so bad. I was going to give the brethren a chance. All right. Right. If you really love her, you're sold out. That's all. And if you love God, you're sold out also. And you love him. Now notice. Then there come a time where there had to be a separation. Or we call it a junction time. You know what we've had? We're now facing that seventh junction. We're at that separating time now where God is separating the church. You believe it? We have time for a few hours to go into the adoption to show how God pulled his people out and the son was adopted into the family. As he's already a son born in the family, he become adopted in the family also. He was adopted, taken out, put a white robe on, and he was adopted into the same family he was born into. If he proved to be a fine man until he was of age, and correctly about his father's business, God done the same thing to his son, took him apart, put him up on the mountain, and there overshadowed him. And his garments glistened like, like the sun in his strength like that, and a voice spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved son, hear ye him. God placing his own son. That's right. God still places his children in his church. And the time of adoption is at hand. Separating. Now look, in the antediluvian world, when God raised up, spread from his hands and made the world and created the heavens and earth and made man do all things in his great plan of miraculous, and the life of God was in man, man believed in the supernatural, but sin separated him. Then after a while, they become builders and builders, and the first thing you know, they become had great buildings and cities. And when cities and buildings and people congregate together, and violence sets in all the time. Look at the day. Talk about a sign of the coming of the Lord. Look at the building going on today. Never been known in the world. That's a sign of the coming of the Lord. Look how in the days of the, uh, before the flood, how they begin to work with metal and so forth. Another sign of the coming of the Lord. Sure, all these are mileposts. But look, just as the people got formal and indifferent and separated themselves from God, there become on the earth and there appeared prophets. There appeared angels. There appeared the supernatural just before the junction. It was the same thing that took place in Israel. They just got come away from God and everything. And there, what happened? An angel appeared. A prophet appeared. The supernatural was done just at the delivering time. Look here, Abraham, again. There at the time of separation, there appeared angels. There appeared prophets. Just before the destruction of the Sodom and Gomorrah, which was a type of the destruction coming on now. Look how they got away through judges and so forth after that. And look at the time of the coming of the Son of God. There appeared an angel to Zechariah. There appeared one to Mary. There came a prophet on earth, John. There came Jesus, a working miracle. He began a small miracle and began working up and working up till after a while. When they hung him on the cross, the heavens turned black and the sun refused to give its light. 
the moon and stars want to shine. And on Easter morning, I'm telling you, the world shook with such a nervous prostration till it shook the dead bodies out of the grave. And the sun turned into convulsions and wouldn't give its life. Amen. What was of that supreme miracle? God said to Joel 2.28, He said, In the last days it will come to pass, I'll pour my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Upon my handmaids and maids shall I pour out my spirit, and I'll show signs in the heaven above, on earth beneath, and wonders and so forth on the earth. And today, look what's happened. We're promised we'll have prophets again. We're promised we'll have healing again. We are promised we'll see sights in the skies, flying saucers on the earth distressed between the nations, and the earth getting nervous again and dashing for a big tidal waves that's killing thousands. What is it? What's all this sign of healing? What's all this sign of persecution against it? We're at the junction time. Hey Amen. It's the coming of the Son of God into hand right now. And these are the things that you're seeing taking place now. It's showing a signpost. Jesus said these things would happen, and we're looking at them today. Oh, brother, one of these days, things are going to change. I'll see Adam say, Eve, honey, shake her and say, wake up, sweetheart. It's here. I'll see Eve go over and shake up Seth and say, Seth, Seth is going to shake up a little bit on Noah and say, Noah, raise up and so forth and on down to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, on down to the last tent that's in the grave when Jesus comes again and the earth will break forth and ever redeemed will be caught up in the air to meet him. We're at the end time. Junction time. Look at this junction between the separation of right and wrong with Abraham. What a time. Abraham seemed like that he had got the raw deal. It seems like tonight because that you've separated yourself from the things of the world that you've got the raw deal. Don't be weary in well-doing. For in due season you shall reap. He that endureth to the end, Jesus said, fame shall be saved. Just keep looking on, keep moving slowly. God knows what he's doing. We're the only one who gets in a hurry, not him. He let the Hebrew children walk right in the fire furnace before he even turned a page over. They're writing the article. Sure. God's in the way. He knows what he's going to do. We don't, but we believe it by faith because he said he'd do it. Amen. Now watch him. God moving to Abraham, sitting out there in the old dry country, the cattle all getting poor. Sarah, the most beautiful woman in all the land, had been. There she was sitting up there getting old, now a hundred years old, right about it. Abraham old, sitting out under the tree. Just before the junction time, what taking place? Angels appeared on the earth. Amen. Amen. They were the form of man. And God himself appeared on earth with his angels. Oh, I hope this don't go too far over yet. Catch it! Someone said the other day, he said, Preacher, you believe that fellow walked up there that day of dust all over his clothes and talked to Abraham was God? He said it was. Amen. Amen. Why you say God in flesh? Yes, sir. Oh, what's that to God to make flesh? Maybe it was him and Gabriel. And maybe uh, Michael, for all I know. Woodworm or some of the rest of the angels. I can hear him say, now we're going down on earth just a while. Come on, there's all supernatural land. I can see him grab up just what we're made out of. A little petroleum, some cosmic light, and 
and some atoms and so forth, and he just throw them together. Step over and say, here you are, Gable, get in here. Here you are, Michael, get in here. And he got himself a handful and walked down in the earth. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, you go to them a holy roller anyhow, so you might as well get used to it. Oh, when I think of that, it makes a holy roller out of me. Is that what you want to call it? My heavenly Father. What's that to him? My, sure, what are you made out of anyhow? Just a little oil, <laughs> a little light, and some atoms put together. I asked the doctor the other day, we were talking about it, and I said, doctor, I want to ask you a question. Oh, he was a great scientist, you know. I said, I'll ask you a question. Is it true that every time I eat, I renew my life by the blood that's taken in for the food? So that's exactly right, Reverend. I said, I want to ask you a question then. Why was it when I was 16 years old, I eat the same kind of food I eat right now, and every time I eat then I got bigger and stronger, and I eat now I get older and weaker. Tell me how it is. Now, I said, that's all together against science. I'm pouring water into a glass, it starts filling up, and after a while I pour it in, it starts going down. What's happening? So he said, we can't explain that. I said, no, but God's Bible said so. Hallelujah. Right. What is it? I was one time nothing, nowhere. But there'll never be a time of what will be something or somewhere. Our body was made out of the earth of petroleum and stuff. And our Heavenly Father, these old atoms are breaking and one of these days will go away and there'll be none of it left. But there was... I told me my hair for the dresser, what I got left. And my wife said to me, she said, Billy, you're getting bald-headed, honey. I told him it, and I said, but praise God, I haven't lost a one of them. She said, then tell me where they're at. I said, I'll answer you when you answer me. Tell me where they was before I got them. <laughs> Wherever they was, then they are now waiting for me. Hallelujah. They wasn't, then they were, then they are not, and they will be again, because God said so. I'm not excited. I know where I'm at. <laughs> yes, sir. I'm just happy about it. I know what I'm talking about. So do you. Sure, there's not one bit of it lost. I'll raise it up at the last day, God said. Amen. Amen. <laughs> It'll be there. Don't worry. Look at him. God stepping down, was it a hard thing for him to do, just to step into a little bunch of flesh? Why, you say, was it flesh? Sure, he got hungry in that body while he was here about an hour. He just stayed on here about an hour, him and them angels. The angels stayed all night till next morning. Because they had a job to do. But God just come down to walk around on earth a little while. In a body of flesh with old clothes on, dust all over it. God himself. And went out and eat a cow, calf, drink her milk, eat some cornbread. Some whole cake. He did eat the butter and the milk and the calf and the whole cake. He got hungry while he was in this cosmic body down here. Hallelujah. What the resurrection to a father of God like that? What's the matter with the people who are scared today? Don't be scared. Our heavenly father watches over everything. He knows just exactly where it's at. Amen. A man of God who could go... Jump right in that body and come down and talk to you. What is it from the raise this up again? <laughs> Amen. The only thing you done is just draw a picture of it. That's all. Just get the picture drawn up here. What you will be. Amen. 
See, this is a frail. It's got to go back. No matter how good you treat it, it's got to go back. You know, people are very fond about this body. Oh, my. I was standing there all go to a great big museum. There's two young men standing there looking at the human body. A man weighing 150 pounds worth 84 cents in chemicals. 84 cents. Could you imagine that? <laughs> you put a $100 suit on 84 cents. $10 something had on the top of them. Some of the sisters would put a $200 mink coat around 84 cents and walk down the street if it ring you, drowned you. Taking care of that 84 cents. That's right. That's all your body's worth. But you got a soul that's worth 10 million worlds. What about that? Amen. What about that soul? You'll certainly take care of the 84 cents, but what about the soul that's worth 10,000 worlds? What about that? Brother, it behooves you to consecrate your life to Jesus Christ. Walk after him. Love him. Make ready for his coming. For only to which we have time to go into the chemical things to prove to you if your body's not born again, it can't resurrect if your soul's not born, rather. It can't go in the resurrection. It's impossible. It's like running the car without gasoline, and you wouldn't do it. No matter how good your car is, that don't have a thing to do with it. It's got to have gasoline to run it. All right. Notice an Abraham sitting out there in his tent. He looked up, standing out there in the bushes, stood three men. You know, Abraham was a prophet. He looked over there, and he said, Oh, he ran out and fell down. He said, My Lord, you've passed by this way. Now come and get your feet washed and sit down just a while and let I'll get you something to eat. He slipped into the tent. He said, Sarah, quickly need some bread. Put it on a hearth and cook it right quick. Went out and got a little fat calf and killed it and said, Now dress this right quick. Now make some, some steaks and let's get ready. And so when he got out there and he sat out there with the tree and he watched them as two angels and God Almighty himself sitting eating calf flesh Drinking milk with corn cakes of butter smeared over it. Oh my. God and two angels. That's what the thus saith the scripture. That's right. There they sat. Sat down here on earth to talk to mankind just before a junction. That people don't believe that he can come down and heal the sick today. Oh my, what's the matter with people? Something's wrong. But the junction chair. Hallelujah. He's doing it anyhow. No matter how much Zachariah disbelieved God, he said, My words will be fulfilled in their season. You'll be dumb till the time. And some people will be left out until the time to see the church go home in the rapture, and that'll be too late then. Notice, while he was sitting there, Abraham watching him. He turned around to Abraham, God did, and he said, Abraham, now according to the time of life, about this time next year, I'm going to visit you. And Sarah was in there. She heard that. And she said, it was to his back. He had his back turned to her. He looked at Abraham. He said, why did Sarah laugh? He had discernment of the Spirit, didn't he? Why did Sarah laugh? And Sarah said, I never laughed. I said, oh, yes, you did. Yes, you did. You laughed. Because she's about half scared to death when she sees who it was. So they went on to Sodom. And Sodom was wiped out. And then I want you to notice a beautiful thing here that gives us a little on our talk just now. And a lot of encouragement for us all, if we got a few more minutes before we get to the point, the place. Look here. Did you notice that Abraham kind of got out of the will of God after that? And he went down to Gerir, which was down in the Philistine country, because there was a famine in the land. And when he got down there, I want to show you what God did. Now, you might not agree with this. 
I preached on this about six years ago one time at a place the fellow wrote a book on it. Now you're going to have to read between the lines. Now you know the Bible is written, the message is not altogether right on the letter, but it's between the lines. Did you know that? You know any love letters written the same way? My wife write me a letter when I'm overseas and she said, Dear Billy, I'm sitting here tonight. I'm thinking of you. And she goes ahead and tells me about different things. Now she puts that on, on the page, but I can read right between the lines. I don't know what she's thinking. Because I love her. She loves me. And I know the way. And the Bible said, I've hid these things from the eyes of the wise and prudent, and will reveal them to babes such as a learner. So it's only you're trying to get a scholarship to know God, you have to get love to know God. Sure. Don't your scholarship does it's all right, it's fine, it helps you a lot. Now I'm not trying to say anything against scholarship to support my ignorance, but I'm trying to say this, friend, that no matter how much scholar you are, you've got to know him to have life. See? Now, it's written between the lines. A lot of times, when we get a big tent up out here somewhere, we take plenty of time and go through them in between the lines. That's the resurrection thing, how it moves in there. Just beautifully. Just get in love with him and he'll reveal it to you. And then I noticed that, you know what God did to Abraham and Sarah there? I'll tell you what he done. Well, he turned them back to a young man and woman again. Oh, you say, Brother Branham, that's ridiculous. But he did. He turned them back to a young man and woman. You know, I can just imagine Abraham walking around. He said, Sarah, dear, you know what? You know, that, that, that your hair's turning black all the time. I hear say, Abraham, you know you're not as stooped in the shoulder as you were. You're coming up. In a few days, they were back to about 25 years old apiece. That's right. That's what they did. See, you have to admit this now, scholars. I know that didn't go so good, but listen. I want to ask you something. Let me show you something. God had to perform a miracle, did he? Sarah was a passive age of barren. In other words, her, her womb was dead. And she was about 45 or 50 years to pass the menopause. You know what that means, don't you? And she'd lived with her husband since she was 16 or 17 years old, perhaps. Just a kid, girl, married. It was his half-sister. And he'd lived with her since she was a young lady and no children. And now look, this is a mixed audience, but you'd listen to your doctor, so I'm your brother. Now I want you to remember me as that if he's in the doctor's office. Now look, in order to have this baby, they didn't have bottles and health and hygiene nipples in them days. So they absolutely had to create new milk veins for the baby. It had to nurse. And then a woman of a hundred years old, he'd have to give her another heart because she couldn't go in labor like that. You know that. So God don't catch up things. He made her brand new again to give a promise to you and to me who's getting old and weary. Watch what he did. They've taken a journey from there, from the place where they were at, at the fields of, of Sodom and the slime pits. Measure it on your map and see how far it is to your career, about 300 miles. It's a long ways down there. Quite a journey for an old man, a hundred years old, a little 90-year-old grandma going down, isn't it? And you know what a strange thing it was? When they got down there, Amalek, the king down there, all those beautiful Philistine girls, he was hunting a sweetheart, and he fell in love with Sarah, grandma. That's what the Bible said he did. He fell in love with Sarah, thought she was the most beautiful thing he ever saw, a hundred-year-old woman. Grandma, a little dust cap, you know what? 
and he fell in love with her. So that's who I voted for. Ridiculous. She was a beautiful woman. God had turned her back like she's going to you and I someday. Hallelujah. Don't worry about gray hair and getting old. Hallelujah. If this earthly tabernacle be dissolved, we have one wing. He proved by Abraham, the father of the promise, what he do for all of his children. And we are Abraham's seed. Right. You say, oh, Brother Branham, they just lived longer than they did. The Bible said a few verses before that they were well stricken in age. They were old. Grandma, did he turn him back? Sure he did. Look, after, after years later, when Isaac was about 20 years old, Sarah died, or maybe a little older, Sarah died, and Abraham married another woman and had, I believe, nine boys besides the girls. Whoa! I know you think I'm crazy. Maybe I am, but let me alone. I feel good this way. I got a hope this way where I didn't have the hope the other way. Amen. Don't worry, grandmother. I won't hurt. Remember the day that Dad took you down, Grandpa, and buried you? Beautiful little thing. You remember, Dad? How pretty she looked? Remember how strong he looked? One day you noticed the gray coming in his hair and his wrinkles in his face and them beautiful eyes of yours look like a dove when he marries you. They're fading away, but don't worry, don't worry. God lets you grow like a rose until it's completed and the bud just right. Then when the petals go to drop and remember, that's a picture in his mind. That's what you'll be in the resurrection. What happened? When he got to a certain age, about 25 years old, you begin to fail him. Begin to get gray. Begin to fail him. You wasn't the man he used to be, Dad. That's right, after a while you found yourself old now and shaking and wrinkled. What is it? Death set in. Death set in. But when Jesus come, he come to destroy the works of death. In the resurrection, death will be forgotten. Well, what you was in life while you're growing, eating this food, and it's building you up to a beautiful young lady or man. That's what you'll be in the resurrection. God's only painting the negative picture. And we live in the negative. But when it's the positive, Hey man, what's the scared about? Hey man, we're the seed of Abraham. We got the promise, and God promises, and the time of the promise is drawing nigh. Hey man, I feel like traveling on. Hey man, you get it? Oh my, what was it? God giving this food for us, a little boy, a little girl, a little rosy cheek? Coming up in that beautiful black or blonde hair, whatever it is. You say, when you're a resurrection, I still be a brunette? Yes, sir. Well, yeah. if I was a blonde, will I be a blonde? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Resurrection don't mean recreation. It means bringing up that what fell down. Amen. When you were mother, when you were 25 years old, you was a beautiful young lady. You're falling all the time, crumbling. You're going down, but the resurrection means bringing you right back what you was at your best. Hallelujah. It was God bringing you up to that time, and he said, all right, Satan, there you are. You can take that body, but you can't destroy that life. Hallelujah. I just feel like turning this preaching a little while, honestly, dude. I feel good. You can't destroy it. Then death set in, and gray hair started all the signposts. As you are, down you go. But look, to drop this on the floor is not to raise this up in its place. If a yellow grain of wheat goes in the ground, it'll bring forth a yellow grain of wheat. 
If a red grain of corn goes on the ground, it'll bring forth a red ear of corn. Is that right? God said, by the variety, we'll not all be the same. No, sir. The indecision robust uniform. No, indeed. He's a God of variety. He makes great big mountains and little bitty mountains. He makes deserts and plains. He makes little streams, big streams, white flowers, green flowers, blue flowers, pink flowers. He's a God of variety. He has black heads, red heads, white heads. He has big man, little man. He's a God of variety. Glory! And not only that, but he's a God of resurrection. He's a God of life. Amen. I'll raise it up in the last day, said Jesus in St. John 6. All that comes to me, I'll give him everlasting life. He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood, ha! Right, doesn't it? Everlasting life, and I'll raise him up again at the last day. Oh, my, my. Get that kind of faith in you. Watch what happens to sickness and troubles and things. They just vanish away. Don't even pay attention to them anymore. You're moving on. Now, that's not some mythical story. That's God's Word. Sarah, a beautiful young lady again. Sure, she becomes fertile in this body. And she brought forth little Isaac, a beautiful little child. She loved him. She was a young mother then. She could take care of him. And mother, you'll be that way again someday, too, back young again. Dad, you'll be the same thing in the resurrection if your heart's right with God. Remember, he that loses his life shall find it, but he that keepeth his life shall lose it. Is that right? Don't. If you want to give your life, if you want to keep your life, go ahead and say, I'll do this and I'll do that every time. Oh, well, I don't care what the Bible says. All right, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for Christ's sake, you'll find it. Exactly. It'll be there again. So let's just lose it. We used to sing a song, Let me lose myself and find it, Lord, in thee. Amen. Notice the days passed by. What a lovely Abraham, a young fellow now, Sarah, with her lovely little boy, raising him up, little Isaac. God had promised all through those old years what would take place. Now he changes them and brings them out back and start over new again, showing what he's going to do to all the seed of Abraham. At the resurrection, the time come. Now, uh, what was the junction then a sign of? The destroying of Sodom and Gomorrah? A sign of the junction time. And what's these things happening for? Angels appearing, prophets appearing, and signs and wonders appearing? We're at the junction time to be changed again. Right at the time. Oh, my. That just makes me feel good. Notice. Now God gave Abraham a test again. All of life is full of testing. And Abraham said, one night when he was speaking with God, God said, Now, Abraham, now in closing, listen. He said, Now, Abraham, I want you to take your only son, your only begotten son, I want you to take him to a certain mountain that I'll show you, and I want you to kill him there for a sacrifice. Did it stagger Abraham? No, sir. God said so. Well, he said, the Bible said in Romans 4 that he had received him as one from the dead. He knew that God was able to raise him up from the dead, from the figure from where he got him. There you are. That's it. So I imagine Abraham said, I can't tell Sarah this. My, those beautiful eyes and those red cheeks kind of seemed stained again with tears. I couldn't do it. So I'll just take the child and took a mule and put some wood, chopped it and put it on the mule for the sacrifice of the burnt 
offered one offering, and he took little Isaac by the hand, he took two servants, and he walked three days. Now, I used to be a patrolman. I could walk any time, six days a week. I used to have to walk around 30 miles every day through the jungle. Well, I know men of them days which didn't have the travel like we had the automobile. They walked where they went. They could easily walk, say, 25 miles a day. Or let's say he went, he went 25 miles each day in three days to be 75 miles. Then he lifted up his eyes and saw way off in the distance the mountain where God had told him. Now, at least 100 miles nearly away. You can see a mountain maybe 50 or 75 miles away. But they would say at least it was a hundred miles. Then when he drew near the mountain, I just loved it. Listen at it. He said, now to the servants, he said, you stay here. Took the wood off the mule, laid it up on his son's back, beautiful type of Christ here at Calvary. Laid it up on Isaac's back, which through Isaac, that's Isaac's obedience to death was the same as Christ's obedience, and through Isaac was the seed of Abraham, through Isaac come Christ, and through Christ comes you and I, by the Holy Spirit who woos us to God, gives us the same promise, the same hope, the same life, the same spirit, everything that they had, same children, we being dead in Christ, we take Abraham's seed and our heirs according to the promise. And look now in this type here, little Isaac with the wood laying on his back, and he said, I, I love these words of Abraham. He said to the servants, you abide here. Maybe not in that tone of all that word. You wait here while the lad and I go yonder to worship and the lad and I will return. Yeah, amen. <laughs> amen. How is he going to return? If he's going up to kill him, how is he going to return? There you are. Amen. That's the trust in God. Oh, he didn't know how it would be. That's the reason he could call it Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. So he said, he stole up the hill. Isaac packing the wood just the same of Christ packing the cross, going up the hill, the sacrifice place. And when he got way up the winding mountain to the top, way up in the rugged, rocky country, up in there, where was that? Then he laid up some rocks and made an altar. And he laid the wood down here, and he set the fire. Then he said, little Isaac said to him, he said, Father, he said, here am I, my son. He said, here is the wood, and here is the altar, but where is the lamb for the burnt sacrifice? Abraham looked at him, he said, my son, God will provide for himself a lamb for the sacrifice. Look at that sturdy knowing what was in that father's heart. It was that crucial moment, ready for a decision. Are you at that spot tonight, sinner friend? That crucial moment where there must be a decision made in a few minutes? He said, God will provide for himself a sacrifice. And they got everything ready. Then Abraham took his only son and took his hands and bound him and laid him behind, laid him up on the altar, pulled the knife out of his sheep, maybe was choking back the tears. But he had to make the decision, would he obey God, yes or no? What are you going to do about it? Pull the knife back, 
restore, stroke the curly hair of his boy, let it back, raise his little head back and raise the knife to plunge it into his own son's throat, not sparing his own son because God asked him to do it. And when he did, the Holy Spirit caught his hand said, Abraham, stay your hand. Stay your hand, Abraham. I know now that you love me. And just about that time, a little ram bladed behind him. That's a male sheep caught in the wilderness by its horns. I want to ask you something. Where did that ram come from? Now, he was a hundred miles from civilization. He was up on top of a mountain where there's no food nor neither water. Where did that ram come from? You know who it was? It was Christ. The ram slammed the foundation of the world. God created the ram because there was a need for one. It wasn't a vision. No one ever saw a vision. He laid the ram up and cut it and blood ran out of his throat and it was a sacrifice. It wasn't a vision. It was actually a ram. It was a ram that died there. What happened? God seen need for a ram and he spoke the ram into existence in one minute and five minutes later it went out of existence. Why? Abraham said we'll call the name of the place Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. No matter what your need is now, God has already provided a ram for your sacrifice. God has already provided a way for your eternal life. God has provided a ram for your resurrection. God has provided a ram to take those gray hairs and wrinkled face and return them back to a new man and woman again. God has provided a way to straighten that crooked hand. God has provided a way to take death of cancer away from you and put life in there. God's sacrifice has already been provided. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, oh, when I think of that word, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. In other words, you are the all-sufficient one, yet you can meet every condition. When Abraham needed strength, you spoke to him and said, I am the breasted one. Just nourish her and I'll show you I'm going to turn you back to a young man again, Abraham. You're old, but I'm God. Oh, Father. And when the need comes for a sacrifice, you had one provided. You just spoke it into existence just at the time to save the life of Isaac. And Father, how much more have you provided a sacrifice tonight for these, your children, who's come through the snow out here tonight to listen to the gospel? You've got a sacrifice provided just now for them. God's lamb slain from the foundation of the world that their life might be spared that their fears might be over, that their dreads of death in the old cold grave out there and the snow sweeping across it tonight, knowing that maybe this time next year they'd be in the same place. But God has provided a sacrifice for resurrection. God has provided someone for the old. 
God has provided someone for the sinful and unclean. He's ready. He offered, and the blood flows freely. You provided a sacrifice for their healing. You provided a sacrifice to take away all their wearies and troubles and their frets and fears. Thou art still Jehovah Jireh, and we love thee supremely with all of our hearts. And we now pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll anoint this group of people tonight. Bless them, I pray. Answer the prayer of your unprofitable servant. Tomorrow night starts the great healing service, we believe. They'll see your great power. Open the eyes of the blind. Make the lame to walk down to your hole again. And tonight, how to start the meeting is surrendering all and come to Him. God, I pray now that you'll speak definitely to every heart. Anoint everyone with a sweet, humble spirit. And the sinner, man, woman, boy, or girl who doesn't know thee, may they come lay themselves prostrate at the altar just now and say, Dear God, I now by faith receive Jesus Christ, thy sacrifice for my sin. He died in my stead. While we have our head bowed, Christians praying, I wonder if there's a sinner here tonight, no matter how old or young, that you have heard the word and you believe with all your heart that that's the truth, it's God's word, and you want to be remembered just now to God. Do you raise your hand to him saying, God, remember me? I now want to accept your provided sacrifice. All that in shudder, it was fulfilled at Calvary when Jesus, my sacrifice, died in my place. He went to torment for me down into hell, and you give me justification by rising him up again on the third day. And now I raise up all I have, Lord, my heart and my hand to you to accept that what you raised up at Calvary or on Easter morning for me. I raise my hand to him now. Will you do it? Is there one here tonight that would raise your hand and say, Dear God, here's my hand. I raise up my hand because I believe you raised up Jesus for me. And I accept your sacrifice by placing my hand up towards yours and saying, Yes, dear God, I now believe it. Here's my hand. Take me just now the way I am. Just as I am without one plea, that thy blood was shed for me. Will you raise your hand? Is there a backslider here say, Oh, God, I've got far away from you. I've slid back. But tonight I feel like I want to renew myself with you. I want to come back. I'm going to raise my hand up. And Lord, you take me just as I am. Will you do it? I don't know your heart, God does. But could you turn him away after seeing such glorious promises? That was just types and shadows. Dad, have you wandered a long time? Mother, look at you. Kitties are all here. Maybe some of them's gone on. Sister, brother, probably old mother's done gone on. You stood right by her old checkered calico dress. She prayed for you. Will you just now say, I want to serve God. Raise up my hands. I want to meet mother. I want to meet dad. I want to meet my children. I'm not right with God, Brother Branham. I want to be right now. Is there one? While we wait just a moment, I don't want to miss anything because it might be... 
Which Father will you raise your hand? I'm coming. Will it cleanse me in thy blood? Thy blood. 